follow me by the way you love, not them, but each other. It's the way we love within this community that is our witness to the world. This shows the world who God is. How many of you are familiar with the Great Schism? All right, Bible College student, what's the Great Schism? I don't know of any other schisms. I'm not talking about the Grand Canyon. That's a great schism. But no, this... Right. Okay, so way more detailed than I need. Appreciate that. Loving your work. Okay, so in 1054, the church, which up until that point had been singular, united, Catholic church, in, in the actual word, of the, the meaning of the word Catholic, which means universal. Uh, there was one church. A thousand years it lasted. And then in 1054, so a thousand years after Jesus started this thing, uh, they had a little bit of an issue. You see, in the Mediterranean, you had a couple of major spots. <laughs> okay, can you please go to the next slide? Thank you very much. So you had major, two major churches within the, the group of churches in the Mediterranean. On the west, you had Rome. Uh, they were the biggest city in the world, so naturally the church was right... I'm looking at a screen right here. This seems like east, but that's all right. This west, this way. Yes, thank you, Charlotte. Appreciate that. These two are keeping me in, in line, by the way. So, yeah. So, um, in the west, you had Rome, biggest city in the world, big church because of that. On the east, you had Constantinople, which was a lot closer to Jerusalem, and it kind of uh, took on a life as one of the big churches as well. And so, there became a little bit of animosity between the two of them. And so... In 1054, there was basically a split. They said, look, we can no longer agree. We're just going to become two separate churches. But it wasn't like a, a happy split. This wasn't an amicable divorce. This was ugly. And so they were like hurling rocks at each other, like spitting all sorts of insults at each other. And so there came, I've been told a story that basically the idea was every time there was a new bishop or, or sort of pope in Rome or archbishop in Constantinople, whichever direction that is for you, um, whenever a new leader came into power, the first thing that they would do was issue an official excommunication of the other guy. Right? So the idea was, because the excommunication means to kick out of the church, basically say you're not a Christian anymore. It was like the, the biggest gun that they had in the church was to be able to say to people because of some poor theology. But they, they said that I can say to you, if you're not in the church, then you're actually not. And you won't be in heaven, you'll be in hell. And so they basically said, you're not a Christian. And then on the other side of the ocean, they're like, well, no, 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 you're not a Christian. And so it kind of went back and forth with this, so like at each other, you're not a Christian. No, you're not a Christian. And it was, it's, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a funny picture. But at the same time, this great schism is an example of what the world looked at Christianity and said, this is a joke, and not the funny kind. 
This is an absolute joke. And they use this, and they use the Crusades, and they use the fragmentation of the denominations after the, the Reformation, and all sorts of different times in history, the um, Spanish Inquisition, all sorts of times when the church did the opposite of loving each other. They looked at it and they said, no, why would I join this? This doesn't make sense. They're standing in the pulpit preaching that God is love, and then they're living out hatred. And it's like, this doesn't make any sense at all. It's a joke. I'm walking away. Yeah? We've seen this. We still see this. People still say that hypocrisy within the church is one of the main reasons people don't want to become a Christian. Because we say we love, and then we hate. And we cannot even love each other. <laughs> like, I mean, they might understand if we disagree and we don't do that very well with the outside world, but we don't even love each other. We look around, they look within the church, and we, we're fighting and we're bickering and we're constantly at each other's throats. And I think this, <laughs> this is pointless. I don't want any part of this. But on the flip side, when they look at us and we actually care about each other, when we love each other despite our differences, when we come together, different denominational groups, different church flavors, and there's nothing wrong with different church flavors, but when we come together like we did at, at uh, Hobby Point with our uh, combined service and we worship God together, we gather around what is the same about us, what we believe about who God is. They see that when they see us caring for each other, when they see us going down to the local church and helping them rip up their carpet because it's flooded, or we go to this person over here and we gather around this family whose house was, was trashed and we say, what can we do? How can we love you? Let's help this person. When they see this, they think, wow, that is something I want. I want to be part of a community where I'm loved, where I'm accepted, where I am treasured. Because love is at the core of who we are. So if we can love each other, truly love each other, we will be a witness to the world of who God is. Have you ever heard the phrase that you are likely the only Bible most people will ever read? That when they look at your life, that's where they get a picture of God. They're probably not going to come across many others. They're certainly not going to read the Bible. They're not just going to pick it up and read it. They read you. And they read you loving or not loving each other. That's the simple truth of it. So let us be a community that actually loves each other. Do not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. Let us love each other powerfully. What's really interesting about this, this idea of love and being core to us is if you look at the three things that John is talking about, it actually covers the entirety of who we want to be as a church. Loving each other draws us closer to God. It builds our faith. Loving each other well, is loving each other. That's genuine love. And loving each other brings hope to the world. We can do everything God wants us to do as a church by loving each other. Everything else is great, but if we don't do this, we might as well not do any of it. So, how will we love each other at Church Northwest? What are some practical ways that we can do that 
and what are we looking to do this coming year? All right, so there's a few things that I've got here, and I think this, and not to sort of, sort of delineate it into three separate little things too much, but there's some things to think about. The first is having a welcoming and accepting attitude here on a Sunday morning. This has been one of the best things I've seen our church do. I'm seeing you nod, Carol, because can I tell you a story just real quick? A little bit. So Carol came to us last year, never been to church very much at all, didn't really have much connection to Christianity. And she said, her words, not mine, that she felt so connected, so loved, so appreciated that she wanted to find more. She wanted to ask, so she started asking questions. The love that we had for each other drew her into a space where we were able to, she became a Christian, she accepted Jesus, we baptized her last year. It was a beautiful story. This is the sort of thing that we can do, and it starts right here on a Sunday morning when we have our morning tea time and we see someone who's not talking to anybody and we go over and we say hi. It can be as simple as that. And we get to know each other and we just accept each other. You know, we've got all different backgrounds. You know, we look different. We have different sort of like areas that we're from or things that we do or maybe things even that we believe. But if we can connect with each other and just love each other here, it's a beautiful thing. All right, so that's the first one. The second one is practical serving. And I've already seen this. Um, this is a beautiful thing. When people are hurting, that we can come alongside and do practical things to help them out. A bunch of you have already put your hands up to help out with flood relief. We've got a list of people. I know um, Scott um, went and, and, and chopped a tree down at Timo's place, right? Yep. So, like, these little things, which will be easy for some and hard for others, makes a big impact, practically loving each other by serving each other. And the third thing is engagement and gatherings. I know this sounds a little bit like, oh, here we go. The church is telling me to come every week, and you have to be here every time the doors are open, and if you don't, you're not a good Christian. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when we think about, should I go to church this morning? I'm kind of tired. I'd like to skip out today. Thinking about why we come to church. It's not so I can fill out the seats and write a nice little number at the top of the order of service. We had 170 people. Woo-woo! You know, pat myself on the back. It is so that we can engage with each other, love each other. We worship God. We learn from God. And we love each other. When we decide to engage, we do so not just for what I am going to get out of this this morning, but what I can give to someone else this morning. And so I encourage you to continue doing that, making that a priority. I know it's further for some of you. We've moved out to Hobby Point. That's made it a lot easier for some of you. And there's a lot of new faces because we're here, and I love that we can serve you in that way. For others, I know it's a longer journey. And I appreciate the willingness to come out to help with each other. But also that means engaging in small groups as well. And I think this is, in small groups, some people have had good experiences, some people have had bad experiences with small groups, and we want to be mindful and, and honor all of those experiences. But we do believe that we can get into each other's lives and support each other and learn together better in smaller groups than we can in the Sunday morning. This is fun. I love this. I love um, chatting with you guys. We have a little bit of interaction, which I try to do more of. But for the most part, I talk, you listen, right? It's, it's kind of that scenario. It's a big group. It's hard to do it any other way. But in a small group, we have an opportunity to discuss, to get in, to ask questions, to answer questions, to dive in and explore faith together. 
So I encourage you, if you're not part of a small group, that maybe you want to think about doing that. We're rethinking small groups as we get started this year. We've got a lot of new people. We're in a new space. Um, and so what's going to happen is in the next week, we're going to send out a survey, an email survey. So if you've filled out the Hello card and you've ticked being on the database, you will get an email with a little survey with a few questions about small groups so that you can answer where you're at, what you're interested in, what some of the, the obstacles there are to going to a small group, how that's difficult, so that we can craft some different opportunities for you to be able to engage in a way that's meaningful for you. Does that make sense? So if you get that email, please fill that out, send that back, and then we can communicate further with you. If you haven't signed up, or if you don't want to be on the database, it will be in the um, Bible app next week as well, so you'll have a link on that, and probably be on the website as well, so you can um, do it that way as well. So please fill that out. Let us know what's going on. Church Northwest is going to be a church that loves each other. This is who we are going to be. We want to have a genuine love for all people. And that means people inside the church and outside the church. But we do not want to miss the emphasis that God has placed on the way that we love the people in this room, or the people that are associated with this church and with other churches people who have given their lives to Jesus. It's important, and we want to make sure we do that. So let me, let me pray. Lord, we, just, we thank you that we do not have to figure out what love is all by ourselves because you have shown us. You did it first. You gave your life up for us. For you, that was literal. You literally gave up your life. For us, we know that may not be, hopefully not literally, um, dying for each other, but we know, Lord, that that means we lay our lives down, that what's important to us comes second to what's important to the people around us. It's a hard attitude shift, and you know my heart that I struggle with this. So, Lord, help us to continue to work on that, to love each other so that we can be the church you want us to be, the church you showed us how to be. Um, and ultimately, Lord, we just thank you that we can love because we have been loved by you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to move into that time. I was talking about communion where we remember what um, God has done. And I wanted to sort of get a little personal with it if I can. Um, many of you know that um, my family is going through a difficult time. My father, Mike Taylor, many of you know him, um, has cancer and is in his last few days. Uh, the hospice nurse has said that his time is very, very close. Um, so my sister Jody, who's normally here doing kids, she's with my mum, they're with him at the moment. I will be leaving very quickly after the service to be with him as well. Um, but I just wanted, first of all, to thank you for the way that you have expressed love to my family in this time. You have shown exactly what John was talking about. And, and the outpouring of love, I've been asked whatever I need. Um, and I really, really appreciate that, and your prayers have been amazing. But I wanted to also um, express that this is, this is going to sound wrong, but this is a beautiful time. There's a beautiful time for my father. He is a strong Christian man. He believes deeply all of this faith stuff. We talk about this every week. You know, we go through life, and we're like, Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I believe in the afterlife. And, and sometimes we really do feel it and we believe it. And other times it's kind of a thing we say, but we're not really sure in our hearts. 
I'll tell you what, he is right there right now. He is, it is real for him. And he is at such peace because he believes deeply. So I wanted to read a verse, a fantastic little passage from 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the transition to what happens to us when we die. He says, Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a theoretical thing for my Father. It's real. He will, in the next few days, be welcomed into our Heavenly Father's arms for an eternal rest with Him. This is why I'm able to be here today. This is why I'm able to speak to you. There is a peace, a a joy even, around this moment because of what is coming. And we have that hope because of what Jesus did. So when we take communion today, I know for me, this is not going to be a theory. This is not going to just be something we do every week. This is a statement of faith. We believe that this life is not it. This is not the end of our existence. This is not the end of our lives. If we have accepted Jesus, if this is the relationship we have, if we are part of his family, then this, this death, what we call death in this world, is just a stepping stone to something amazing. If you don't believe that, I encourage you to think hard about whether that, well, you want that to be a reality in your life. It is for my Father. And it is for me. That's the, that's the legacy He has given me. So I want to celebrate as we take communion. It's not about my dad. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's about what He has done, the pathway He has forged for us. So if we want to pass around the, the elements now, I'm going to pray. And, and I just, I want us to be praying during this time. I mean, after communion, during the week, if you can be praying for my family as we sort of transition through this. But in this time, let us praise God that He has made a way. Lord, we... I, I don't know, words, words sort of don't really suffice completely. I thank you that you have my Father in your arms. I thank you that his future is bright, that he is about to be the healthiest he has ever been, that he will no longer suffer, there will be no tears in his eyes, no aching in his body, no cancer. Whatever his body looks like, it will be perfect. Lord, we thank you that we have this hope of a future eternal. Thank you for the legacy that he gave me of trusting in you and what you have done for us. You love us more than we could ever imagine. You promise us 
beauty beyond what we could ever think. And you always fulfill your promises. So Lord, as, as he transitions this week, we look forward to the day that we can join him and join you and enter our rest. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.